Hi everyone, welcome back to Hypothesis. I'm Killian. I'm Amandine. And uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking all about the microbiome and the gut and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. do you want to start us off, Amandine? Yeah, so I'm just going to say before I forget that some of the information about sort of the general overview of what the microbiome is and all that, I got from two papers. So, one of them is Introduction to the Human Gut Microbiota, and that was by Tosby and Judge, but it's, I don't know how, J U G E, Judge? Judge. <laughs> 2017, and then um, the microbiome definition revisited old concepts and new challenges, and that was by Berg et al. 2020. Mm. Getting very fancy now with these references. I know, listen, <laughs> I'm actually putting effort in, kind of. <laughs> but um, basically, what, the, what we're talking about is the microbiome in the GI tract, so the gastrointestinal tract, and that's basically from your mouth all the way down to your rectum slash anus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I was also going to talk a little bit about the microbiome in the nose and that kind of thing. So maybe not just the GI tract, okay, but well, mostly the Okay, well, that's all I'm tract. going to talk okay, about. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, so there's actually, it's actually debated what the microbiome actually is, because I was looking up, there's different people think it's different things and they've after coming up with a general microbiome definition it's only this year yeah the 2020 paper yeah the 2020 paper is that just some uh publisher decided they were going to define it no no they got it was like a study they got like top scientists or researchers in the field and then they also did like an online survey of like over 100 um, scientists that research it to see what they think should be included in the actual definition. Right. So they got, I think, a bit of a consensus. And the general definition, that's not completely quoted, but partially quoted, is the microbial community with a reasonably well-defined habitat with distinct physiochemical properties uh, where the microbiota can carry out their activities. So this is kind of a, yeah, it's a long uh, Mm. definition, but it basically takes into account the individual members of the microbiome, the interactions between them, the the interactions between them and their environment, which Mm. in our case is like the host, because it can be in the environment as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, So for us, it would be like even the immune system and that sort of thing, which I'm going to get into. Yeah. (laughs) Always the immune immune system. system. It's the the coolest thing. It is. And it also takes into account the spatial and temporal characteristics. And much more. And I know I just literally said that uh, immunology is the coolest thing. I'll just say again, sorry, it's not. <laughs> it's <laughs> one of, one of. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. You just wish you did immunology. <laughs> Shh, don't tell them it's a secret. <laughs> but yeah, it's basically the microbiota is made up of all the living things in the microbiome. So there's two mm. two different words oh, here. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And so the microbiota are things like the fung- or fungi, bacteria, archaea that we mentioned previously that we don't really know what they are. Yeah. Um, and it was debated whether viruses and phages yeah. and just free DNA, do they, they count? count? The yeah. And they decided, no, they don't oh. count, but that they count as the microbiome because they sort of make up the habitat of where the microbiota yeah. live. And is the microbiome, isn't that sort of more about the genetics and stuff as well? Sort of yeah, yeah which... so that was, a, for a while, the definition of microbiome was basically like the genetics of the all microbiota, the... microbiota, kind of, yeah. Because yeah. that's the definition I knew. Yeah, yeah but they... Back in my day. That. Yeah, they were... <laughs> I heard that like a year ago. <laughs> yeah, they were just like, that's too simple. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't take into account all the reactions or interactions between mm. the organisms and between their environment and so, i think that's actually an important point to make that like 
I really did just hear that last year and this field does move oh, yeah. rapidly. <laughs> so, so fast. There is so much information and it's, yeah, it's changed because I was trying to find stuff and I was like, oh my God, each paper says something different because it yeah. just, it, it's crazy how fast everything is changing. Mm. Um, but basically, um, you, it's also, so here's another thing. It's debated whether or not you're born with this microbiome. So some mm. of them, some papers are saying like, oh no, it happens like before you're born and it's like inside the mother. And then others yeah. are like, oh no, it's only when you're born and the way you're born, whether it's vaginally or through C-section affects, mm. you know, your bio, your microbiome makeup. Mm. So I don't know. Yeah. Or I don't know if you saw anything about that or uh, if you found well, any from what, what we were sort of taught in lectures and things, it looks like the microbiome uh, sort of how you're made up it, it's thought to like sort of change throughout your life like at different yeah. stages of your life there's let's say more type of bacteria A in your gut yeah. and B on your skin or something like that but then sometimes it switches at different points mm -hmm. in life but generally for like newborns um, your microbiome as it as a or microbiota whatever way we're going to say it from now on I'll just say microbiota maybe um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, microbiome because okay. okay. biome microbiome. Takes, up, takes into account more, more things yeah. yeah okay so microbiome then of a, of a newborn baby born by natural birth is actually quite reminiscent of the microbiome of the vaginal microbiome of yeah. the mother whereas if you're born by c-section then your microbiome as a newborn is actually more like the mother's skin and um, mm -hmm. because you're sort of interacting with your mother again like on the outside yeah. sort of um, a lot more so all the bacteria you're getting into your system is actually through your mother's skin more than mm -hmm. anything else so it actually does affect that yeah. quite a bit and I thought that maybe that could explain things like maybe incidences of allergy or other things mm, that your microbiome yeah, can help well. uh, regulate so we're gonna maybe go a little I'll, I'll go a little bit into that yeah. sort of stuff in the immune system side because you know yeah that's what I do and I think it's around like two and a half years old <laughs> is when your microbiome kind of reflects that of an adult in that like mm. it has like the, the same composition and diversity and it's doing the same things as that of an adult and like yeah. you mentioned it does change throughout your life and <clears throat> there throughout I suppose ev the evolutionary context these microbiota have evolved to live inside your gut and you have evolved to need them mm. and each person's individual microbiome is different mm. I'm pretty sure it's kind of like a fingerprint like everyone has yeah. a different one and there is an outrageous statement that we heard where it's basically like there's more cells or more living yeah cells inside you that aren't you yeah like i think that's actually debated now. it is debated because yes. <laughs> Cause I, when i heard day, that yeah. i was like oh my god that's outrageous yeah. you're basically just a vessel for yeah, bacteria uh, yeah. Stuff, yeah but then i think now they think it's more maybe one-to-one -one. yeah but it, yeah. it could be even less i don't know but when yeah, i heard it's pretty that, much one-to-one -one, we'll say yeah yeah but this is what i mean like they have this field i feel like has outrageous statements yeah uh, like that because when i heard that i was like whoa that's crazy yeah but um yeah it like you also mentioned earlier that it changes throughout your life mm. that your microbiome and it can change for different reasons like if you're sick or if you take antibiotics different diets your food really affects you yeah. know like if you have a bacteria for example that's really good at breaking down a certain type of food if you keep eating that food yeah it's gonna then it'll grow like more and mm. they're I, always competing yeah like the bacteria that break down chicken goujons are just <laughs> oh like, my god sorry they, they're living in my gut like they he love lives it. off chicken goujons <laughs> no i don't that's and waffles you're gonna turn into a waffle <laughs> but um yeah fiber 
So I also saw that fiber is actually really good for your microbiome, but apparently it's not good for you. Like, mm. I don't know if we can break it down or not now. I, now oh, I'm, I think, yeah, I think your yeah, microbiome is a big part of breaking it down. Yeah. There's several foods I think we eat that like, if you had no bacteria inside you, you exactly. wouldn't be able to break it down. Yeah. But not even that, but sometimes they help us get the best out of it. Like they exactly. know how to Make, break it into a part that we know how to absorb. Yeah, sometimes we can't digest food a certain way. And this is mm. why we need them. And we're, you know, when I'm mm. saying, oh, they need us and we need them. Like they can make certain vitamins, things like yeah. that. Like I think B12, vitamin K, folate. And um, yeah, it's just they do stuff that helps us. Um, I know that's a really like crappy way of putting it, but they are beneficial to us. Yeah. Even though there can be pathogens in our gut, which you know is obviously bad, but the yeah. gut bacteria is there is also to protect us from pathogens. Because if we had nothing there, kind of protecting the linings of our stomach, or yeah. not our stomach, probably not our stomach because there's so much acid. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just kidding. It's hard to survive there. But in the in like your intestines and stuff like that, then that would be the perfect place for pathogens to grow. Mm. So. Yeah, and in case people don't know what pathogens are, because someone actually asked me before, um, I just assumed everyone knew what it was. It's basically just bad. It, it, it's it, like, yeah, it's an infectious organism, usually yeah. like a bacteria or virus yeah. that causes harm, we'll say it's a pathogen. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not just the gut that has microbiome and all that sort of stuff. So all your sort of mucosal areas, which include like your nasal cavity, your lungs even, and your ear canal, all that stuff has its own uh, yeah. microbiome. Um, and then, yeah, as Amelie said, there can be pathogens sort of in the microbiome as well. And there can be, some of them are called opportunistic pathogens, mm-hmm. which means that most of the time they're helping you out. They're like maybe making vitamins, something like that. But when they see a chance that they can spread a bit faster and maybe cause a little bit of damage, but it'll help them. Yeah. Some of those opportunistic ones will uh, seize the day and, uh, <laughs> and try to do just that. So like... Uh, I, some of you might have heard of Staphylococcus aureus Staph aureus yeah. uh, it's a type of bacteria that like when you culture it in the lab I just remember us doing it in like first or second year biology and um, it sort of uh, grows as a kind of goldy colour which is kind of called aureus because like or is like oh yeah uh, something to do with the Latin for uh, yeah it is gold. Cause, yeah, yeah, yeah cause French, it's like AU is yeah. French I don't know <laughs> no it's not French it's from Latin but French on Latin as well so okay yeah and uh, also it smells really bad when you grow oh, in the lab oh it smells very bad just when you grow to let you like a lot of things you grow <laughs> yeah it actually everything <laughs> not a lot of pleasant smells when you culture things mm. um, so it but Staph aureus is a major cause of hospital acquired infections so even though you could have it naturally a lot of the time um, it's very good at like living on medical devices and that sort of thing which we briefly talked about before I think in another episode of mm. when we were talking about disease yeah. but um, it's really good at this and then can actually maybe get into parts of your body where it wasn't before and try to take over and then it actually becomes really infectious so um, there are th- these bacteria and other pathogenic bacteria they have sort of surface proteins on, on their surface obviously <laughs> which, allowed, <laughs> which allowed them to adhere to your cells so sort of stick into place and not yeah. be moved around um, and sort of sometimes that allows them to enter your cells as well which yeah. I'll get into in a little bit um, some of them can even form like an abscess which is not a pleasant thing no. you know where it, and the way it does this is it essentially surrounds itself with dead immune cells so the immune cells that try no to way. kill it yeah so some immune cells try to kill it they sometimes have their own mechanisms of killing those immune cells. So then it's surrounded by dead immune cells, this sort of graveyard. And then other immune cells actually find it hard to get to it because it's surrounded by all these dead cells. Yeah. And that forms what you see as an abscess. And that's why, if I know this is gross, if you break up an abscess and you sort of see it's like that sort of pus, that's 
usually when you see pus, that means dead immune cells, dead lymphocytes. Interesting. Um, in particular, neutrophils, which are like really fast responders in the immune system. Um, if you see pus, it's usually just a load of those dead. So <laughs> they, they tried their best. but and, and, and a lot of the time, the infection will still be cleared. So even though it has this amount of dead immune cells around it, usually the immune system will eventually win. It's just a matter really? of time, Yeah, which, mm. which is good. Um, now, obviously, that's not always true in the case of people who are immunocompromised and things like that. But the vast majority of the time, yeah. the immune system wins, which is why, you know, people don't like die of regular infections most of the time. Yeah. You know, it is only in rare cases, thankfully. So like those neutrophils, those fast responding immune cells, they can actually, one thing they can do, which I just think is really good, is they can shoot nets, they're called. Okay. N-E-T. Do they uh, look like nets? Like, are they like They look nets? like nets. Yes. And also, it stands for something. Yeah, that's the yeah. best. How do I they love do when that? Happens. Yeah, how yeah. do they fit? Surely they fit the words together to I, make I it look so, like yeah. that. It's not yeah. like they randomly. So, net stands for neutrophil extracellular trap. Smart. So, that's really cool. So, Smart. essentially, what they do is they shoot their own DNA at the pathogen. Okay. Um, so, it's cellular suicide. The, those neutrophils, those immune yeah. cells, are killing themselves in order to save the wider yeah. body um, because DNA essentially you know can react then with the bacteria and electrostatically sort of break its proteins apart or something like that because it's it can be quite reactive really? DNA yeah at, at least that's no, what I need to tell. look into that <laughs> no, I, I, no I've never heard of that before yeah it's, it's a bit mad um, because DNA is also something that your immune system sort of senses as like there shouldn't be DNA floating around. Oh yeah, so that's true. So yeah, if yeah, it yeah. shoots DNA, then your immune system knows it's something up. Yeah. You should never have DNA floating around. Um, that so makes sense. yeah, and then but then some bacteria have adapted to fight these nets. So some bacteria pr- produce the enzyme DNAs, and in biology, if A's uh, is used in an enzyme name that means it's breaking something. Yeah. So also, DNA is. How do you yeah. spell DNA? Is now I. Yeah, I know. There, is it is it is two it, A's or is it not? That's what you're, is that Yeah, what but you're, also, is if there's only one A, is, is it a big A or a little A? Yeah. See, I, I googled this. I, I anticipated this question. <laughs> no, I was wondering myself. Am I that predictable? <laughs> <laughs> so DNA is spelled capital D. Yeah. Capital N. Little A. And then small A. Yeah. yeah small A S E. I think A's is just has to be kept as is oh. so DNA so it breaks down DNA so therefore if you shoot DNA at it it can just destroy that and go yeah try me again <laughs> uh, so it breaks down those nets and allows them to escape because those nets the DNA can actually sort of trap bacteria and allow a bigger immune cell or some other type of immune cell to come in and, and finish the job okay. that's another thing they do they don't just react to the cells themselves but those nets actually physically trap bacteria as well the dna that they shoot yeah out. the dna they shoot at yeah cool i didn't know that yeah and there are lots of other types of immune evasion mechanisms employed by bacteria that could be a whole other episode so i won't go too much into that because this is supposed to be mainly microbiome stuff yeah <laughs> um yeah so i could go into the mucosal immune system and that kind of thing now or actually well one thing i want to say actually based on something you said and um, which is the good bacteria and the bad bacteria you know the good bacteria helping us against the bad bacteria yeah. i think that's important to emphasize as well that it's not only you know, those so-called good bacteria that can sometimes be opportunistic and cause, you know, infections. But it's not just uh, producing vitamins and that kind of thing. Just their physical presence actually Mm. stops pathogenic organisms. If you think, if you eat something that is contaminated with a bacteria, that will always be a pathogen. Let's say it's something that never helps you out. So you eat it, it tries to then infect your cells. What if your cells are already covered in the so-called good bacteria? It's yeah. going to be very hard for those bad bacteria to actually latch on. Yeah. And a lot of the time, the good bacteria are already producing things that ward off their competitors in your microbiome because 
your microbiome is it's like its own dynamic battleground. Yeah. Even though a lot of the bacteria are there for your good, they are competing against each other. Yeah, they are. Um, so then they're also going to compete against anything that tries to join the party, including yeah. the bad ones. Yeah. So they help even just, they're doing it selfishly for competition, mm-hmm. but they're actually defending you as well, which is yeah. really interesting. Yeah, because um, it's made up of like good bacteria. There can be bad bacteria and there can also yeah. be like neutral yeah. kind of stuff just floating about. And I think, but, yeah, and the definition of good and bad is very yeah, great. That's what I was going to say. Like some good, in yeah, air quotes, so-called good yeah. can become bad if they, because they're supposed to be there in like a certain amount. And if, let's say, they start taking over and they, mm. you know, become, I don't know, I was going to use the word conquer, but I don't <laughs> know if that's the right that's term pretty cool. to use. If they just overgrow and take up. Yeah, or sometimes they can develop a certain mutation that allows them to do yeah. something new that they didn't do before that your immune system doesn't know how to react to mm. and then it takes advantage of that. Yeah. Um, or yeah. actually, there's so people... You know lactose. Well, so lactose. I know lactose. You know lactose. <laughs> I, I know some people who are intolerant to it. Exactly, lactose intolerance. So it, that's a genetic thing, whether you're you can break down lactose or not, um, which is basically a sugar found in like milk and I don't know related <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say that's obvious. <laughs> ice cream. I don't know dairy. Dairy. Yeah, that's, yeah, the word. that's the word. Um, but um, yeah, so we can make. Well, not we. It depends. So some people can make lactase, which is the enzyme, like Colleen said, if it has the A's, it breaks something down. So the lactase, that you're, it's encoded in your genome to make this lactase, and that breaks down lactose. Um, and then if you don't produce the lactase, then you're lactose intolerant. Mm. And I just was like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. Like, you can't break it down, obviously, whatever. But then I actually, I never knew this, that if you, the reason is actually because if you don't break down the lactose, then the bacteria in your gut will do it. And when they do it, what they break it down into makes you like nauseous and, you know, it gives you all the symptoms of being lactose intolerant, Mm. which I I never thought about before. Yeah. Yeah, Which I thought was pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. But uh, do you want to talk about the mucosal whatever yeah. so the mucosal immune system essentially yeah the immune system that's in your mucosal site so anything that sort of has mucus like i said lungs are included the gut all that sort of stuff so like interestingly most pathogens you're going to encounter through some mucosal site you're either going to breathe it in or eat it or something like mm-hmm. that so the mucosal immune system even though it's something that isn't maybe as well studied as like the immune system in your blood and that sort of thing it's arguably more important yeah and, and part of the reason maybe that you know, it's not been studied as much is because it does such a good job. Really? A lot of the time, you know, it, it defends us from what we need to. It's only really when something gets into the blood and that sort of thing that we start to go, okay, mm. this is a problem we need to figure out how to solve. Yeah. Um, but there are some exceptions of infections that go directly into your blood. Like, for example, malaria, insect bites, that'll go straight to your blood. But the vast majority of pathogens you're going to encounter, you're either going to breathe it in or eat it or some other mucosal site. Um, so in natural infections, so we're not talking about vaccines or anything like that, uh, the immune memory that results, because you obviously still get immune memory when it's not vaccines. Um, your yeah. immune system is good at remembering things, and that's what we exploit when we make vaccines. Um, but the immune memory that results from a natural infection is usually strongest about where you got the initial infection. Because yeah. your immune cells can actually home to the site. They actually sort of carry a little tag to sort of know where they encountered the pathogen first. So if you get an infection that's in your nose, a lot of the time, if you, your immune system can remember that, the immune response will be there in the nose, ready to go mm-hmm. when you encounter that again. And this is something that hasn't actually been taken advantage of too much in vaccines, because 
vaccines, when we think about it, are mostly, you know, injected into your muscle or something like that. Mm. Um, but actually, you know, they've been working on oral and nasal vaccines for, oh, yeah. uh, for quite a while. And uh, some of them have shown success, but they're not obviously as popular. You don't see as much of them as other vaccines. But it's an interesting thing that if we can stimulate really strong responses against even something like COVID yeah. in the mucosa, like your nose, your nose and lungs and that sort of thing, yeah. you might act not actually need to have the whole systemic response in your blood and that sort of thing. Because if the immune response is good enough at the mucosal sites, it might never get to the blood. Hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, a lot of the time, a systemic response in the blood will have enough of a response everywhere else anyway. Yeah. But it's interesting to think about how can you stop it at the source, because that might also block transmission, because that's another oh, thing. Yeah. So you might have a great response in your blood that means you might not suffer the symptoms from it, but it, you might not have as much of a response in your nose, and therefore you might be able to still give it to people. Mm. And that's actually a concern with some of the vaccine candidates right now. Mm. They don't know, even though they seem to be really good at protecting you, do they also stop you spreading it? They're still trying to investigate which ones do that well. Um, I knew I'd find a way to bring mm. vaccines into this. I know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it is more difficult to provoke immune <clears throat> responses there, probably because it hasn't been studied as much. So, yeah, microbiome, as I said, plays an important role in defense too by competing and that sort of thing. So that's important to keep in mind. It's not just your immune system this time. This is the microbiome also helping you in uh, defense. Uh, but in the gut, you're not going to want really strong immune responses because, first of all, you're going to have a lot of these so-called good bacteria. You don't want to start killing them. Yeah. So even though your immune system is trained to recognize foreign entities like bacteria and viruses and kill them, you don't want to kill those because that'll actually, that'll actually you know, make you sick if you yeah. kill them. That's like if you take antibiotics and stuff like that. Exactly. That's, that's important. Yeah. If you take antibiotics, you can sort of kill a lot of the bacteria and then yeah. whatever ones happen to be antibiotic resistant or whatever ones... You, you eat next or whatever mm. will then be the ones to take over so that's why antibiotics oh, yeah. can sometimes have a pretty bad and then there's probiotics as well yeah i don't know exactly what they do they're supposed to just be good for gut the, health and yeah stuff. They're extremely vague and that's because they <laughs> have very little backing uh we had some lectures on it uh yeah. last year in third year yeah we had some lectures on uh probiotics and stuff and the lecturer we had wasn't the biggest fan of the mm. whole probiotics movement and talking about these yeah. yogurts and stuff to say oh boost your gut yeah. A lot of the time, they don't have a lot of evidence. Like a lot of the time, you're eating these bacteria, and most of them, if you actually, you know, look into them research-wise, they won't survive the stomach. Really? So you know, they say, oh, they'll get to your gut, they'll do this and that. But a lot of the bacteria that actually on paper, okay, yeah, they're in this yogurt, they're good. Yeah. You eat them, and they are absolutely obliterated by all the stomach acid and everything. So yeah. what's the point? Um, but how do you go now I'm like how do they even get there in the first place oh, you don't eat them if you're born with them no uh, so the, some of the ones you're born with you don't but I think but they also can find a way through the stomach it's not like the stomach is yeah, yeah, impossible to get through there are ways of resisting it yeah. um, particularly pathogens that are evolved to infect us they're quite good at sometimes getting through the stomach which is why like if you eat undercooked chicken and stuff you can still get quite sick you know it's, it's not yeah. like the stomach can be you know the perfect solution all the time yeah but yeah, so they, they find a way sometimes. That's actually... Um, and then, so yeah, in the gut, you don't want these big immune responses all the time to bacteria and to new things. Because like, let's say you're... Because your immune system gets tolerant to things. It learns, okay, don't fight this. It does mm -hmm. this with most of your body cells, which is why most of us, most of the time, don't have an autoimmune disease where our immune system is fighting another part of our body. Um, 
But at the same time, we don't attack our microbiome. That's something else that our immune system has to be trained to be tolerant towards. Like, yeah. don't fight this. But then what happens if you eat a new food? Mm. Let's say you're not someone who's a big fan of the veggies and you eat a new vegetable. <laughs> cough, cough, Killian. <laughs> <laughs> I eat lots of vegetables. Anyway, you, let's say you eat a new vegetable that you've never had before. How does your immune system not go, what the hell is this? This is scary. Is there, you're, I'm going to attack it. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Is, but I just assumed there was no immune system. I suppose I just assumed there was no immune system in your... In your gut? Yeah. Mm. But or yeah. like in your esophagus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, I know, there's, that's... There's an um, immune response everywhere. So actually what happens is your gut becomes anti-inflammatory. And there's some evidence that shows that if you eat quite a lot of food and, you know, it's maybe even through the nerves, there might be some link between the nervous system and the immune system where... So in your, you know, esophagus, stomach, all that sort of thing, you're starting to feel like you're breaking down food. The immune system in the gut is sort of told, okay calm down, there's a lot of food coming here, okay. there might be some new stuff. So it dampens the responses, so it becomes slightly anti-inflammatory. So that means it's if it sees something new, it's not likely to mount a massive response to it. It might mount yeah. a response, but it'll probably be something small, mm-hmm. and only then if it persists and is dangerous will it start to mount something bigger. Yeah. So that can be a negative thing in the rare occasion where you eat something that's pretty badly you know, infected. But most yeah. of the time, we don't do that. So it's actually good that our immune system doesn't recognize you know, just a new food as yeah. a problem. Because when that does happen, that's allergy. Yeah. Um, so that happens with some people. Their immune system is doesn't dampen the response enough and you try some food and your immune system thinks, oh, this is something to fight. Um, and it happens obviously with more foods than others. Certain protein structures um, and other types of structures as well, like carbohydrates and stuff, are just more prone to being recognized as a target by the immune system. Um, because they just interact better with immune cells and that sort of thing. So unfortunately, if things like peanut allergies and stuff are, you know, relatively common compared to, like, not many people have something like a carrot allergy, you know? Some structures are just more prone to being recognized by the immune system as something that's potentially a pathogen. Mm -hmm. Because it might look like something, maybe on a molecular level, that that resembles a bacteria or virus in some way. That's really Uh, interesting. I didn't know that. And there's actually a study in the 1940s by... M.W. Chase, I also have some references, um, that showed that repeated feeding of a substance to mice uh, reduced their immune responses against it, even when the substance was then injected later. So if you... you Sorry, they injected food into the mice? uh, Well, it wasn't just food. They tried lots of different things, including, um, I think, metals and different things as well, like some kind of small like metal particle. Were they feeding it the metal first? Yes, within food, yeah. And then they they injected it. Into the blood? Yes, because what they were trying to prove was, first of all, that your gut uh, was anti-inflammatory, so they wouldn't get these big responses to some of the things they were having the mice eat would usually provoke a bit of an immune response if you just injected it. So they were showing that they kept eating this food that had these things in it, and the immune system was being tolerant to it because you weren't getting responses. And then they said, oh, but is this response across the whole system or is it just in the gut? So let's inject this thing that would normally cause an immune response and what happened was it turned out the whole immune system systemically oh. had learned this is not something to fight, this is a food thing. Yeah. So when it found its way to the blood by injection, they said, oh no, this is just one of those things we have to ignore. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. I can just imagine someone injecting. Like, how do you inject food into them? How is I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly what substance no, it is. No, I just yeah. remember there's quite a wide variety. Like, they tested three or four different types of substance. That's crazy. And all of them had that effect, so... 
from from what I saw anyway. I didn't yeah. I didn't look into it the whole paper. No, no, it's just because you're like, oh, your immune system is like, oh, it's a food thing. And I'm just like, <laughs> how? Do yeah, I it's not quite like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. It's just uh, really funny. The I, way I think you said maybe it. I, just because I talked about the immune system that much, I should maybe in some episode cover exactly how immune training works and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think that's something I come back to a lot. I just sort of say. Oh, the immune system says this. Like yeah. it doesn't say anything. It's no, but it's just a lot of complex it, so signals. I, maybe I won't get into it sometimes. <laughs> it's quite no. I don't know. I'd be interested. But, but, but like, yeah, so maybe I will. I'll try to give a quick overview. But the immune system is quite a complex thing. Yeah. but it's really really interesting. Um. So yeah, and in mice, this has also been shown to be a very effective way of preventing autoimmune disease. So okay. there's a certain percentage chance that like everyone has that you'll develop an autoimmune disease at some point in your life. Or if a certain injury happens, like let's say there are some autoimmune diseases where if you have some damage to your eye, there are some, there are essentially parts of the inside of your eye that your immune system will never see. Yeah. Because it's inside your eye. Why would the immune system... Immune compromised or something. Yeah. So, well, it's immune privileged. Privileged. Yeah. That's the one. So something is immune privileged. Yeah. Why is it called privilege if you don't get it? What? Like, I think like oh it's a privilege that you get oh it's a it's a it's stuff. a privilege that I I, I don't actually know why it's called immune privilege so it's that's funny. why I said yeah it's, all, it's, it's almost like they're saying it's a privilege to not even to be not seen have, by the immune yeah. system yeah oh, that makes know. no sense to you that's what I, I think I mean privilege because like yeah you don't have any immune system in you you don't yeah. even need it because you yeah. never get infected that's part uh, of it too because like the inside of your eye it'd be very hard for something to get in there yeah. usually uh, so you don't have an immune system in there but what happens is someone has an accident and. I know this is a horrible image, but their eye bursts open. Oh my god! Yeah, we were telling a bit about this. Then you have the proteins that are on the inside of your eye. Oh yeah. Leaking into your maybe blood or other parts of your body that does have an immune system. Your immune system says, "Whoa! I never saw this stuff before. This must be a pathogen." Yeah. And then what can happen is it looks all around that area for the pathogen and no. actually gets into your other eye and no. destroys it. Yeah. It oh. actually destroys your other eye from the inside. Which is pretty terrible. So you yeah. end up not just losing one eye, but losing two, because your immune system assumes that it's something that needs to be killed. I actually think I've heard this before. You yeah, definitely I can't remember before. the name of the uh, disease. I, I yeah. should have looked into this before, and I didn't even think of it when I was preparing yeah. this. I just like thought that on the spot. But uh, yeah, oh look at you uh, go! I know. <laughs> but, but, but then back to autoimmune disease. Uh, in the microbiome context, I am linking this back. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I was like, yeah. mm, this is nice. No, because what they've shown is because you have this thing where the gut uh, trains your immune system to tolerate things, Yeah, they've shown that they can actually make autoimmune diseases much less likely if you feed your own antigens to yourself. So like in the mice, they would say, okay, so what happens is sometimes in MS, your immune system reacts to myelin, which is this protein that covers your nerves and makes sure that signals are kept just in the nerve fibers. Yeah. And in MS, your immune system goes, oh, those protective covers are actually a pathogen yeah. and they destroy it. And that's why in MS, you have all sorts of neurological and sort of problems with moving muscle because your nerve signals don't have the same insulation. Yeah. But they found that they can make MS less likely because they can essentially give MS to mice. It's a series okay. of injections. It's pretty horrible, but they can induce MS in mice. And they yeah. found this was way harder to do if they had fed myelin, which is this cover of your nerves, to the mice for a long time beforehand. So eventually their immune system said, oh, this is something I need to tolerate. It's some kind of food. So it never mm-hmm. learned to, even when they really tried to get the immune system to fight its own nerves, yeah. it wouldn't do it. It thought, no, this is something no I've learned to tolerate. Whereas usually it's not something that's it's And they were to able to get it to go through the stomach and like... 
not get broken down and everything. Yeah, I'm actually not sure how, like, how, how that works in terms of how, how it gets to the yeah. gut and how they know things don't break down. That's actually very interesting. I wonder, was it in capsules or something like yeah, that? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I don't actually know how it worked, but that. yeah. So in MS, they've shown that uh, oral and nasal administration of large doses of myelin could prevent that. Because um, another thing is these mucosal sites are quite well linked. Hmm. Um, so you have, for example, people who... If you get a certain infection in your nose, that's linked to your lungs, uh, mucosa as well. It's not like because they're right yeah. beside each other even. It's just that if you remember something in your nose, your mucosal immune system in your lungs will also remember it well, hmm. um, which is quite interesting. And then I'm trying to remember the other link. I might, I might think of it again later. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, so in the vast majority of the time in your gut, you don't want to develop a strong immune response because it's probably just, you know, a new food or something like that. Yeah. But there are sort of general defenses that your immune system employs just in case the food happens to be contaminated with something. So, for example, they use acids, as we talked about before, use proteases, which break down certain types of protein. Yeah, isn't there something about, because I just remember, in your stomach, wait, the acid in your stomach breaks down the proteases or something like that, or... Oh, pepsin. Pepsinogen. Yeah, I, I can't remember oh, much of the pepsin stuff. Yeah. Do, oh, that was it. so... It's something how, like, they they produce the the part just before it becomes pepsin or yes. something like that. So, and so they release that into the stomach. Yeah, yeah, so that it... That's... Sorry. Now, because... Now, we don't have an answer. Yeah, we but, don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but that's... We're about to come back to yeah, another we time. Will, we we will come back to it, though, because that's... Now I want to know. Yeah, That's so we'll, we'll find a way to put that into a future episode. Yeah. Um, so then they also use these things called antimicrobial peptides, which are more specific to, um, you know, bacteria and viruses and that sort of thing. Uh, so that won't attack food. Okay. So if it is just food, they're still shooting these micro antimicrobial peptides around the place. So if they did have a recent bacteria in it, you might still be protected because they're quite generally just shooting stuff. Yeah. It's not like they're getting specific responses because they don't want to do that in case it's food. Okay. Um, so all of this is designed to, you know, prevent infection from taking hold. Um, so these sort of bigger immune mechanisms are only sort of brought into play if they really need to. Yeah. Um, so you have things like lactoferrin that's produced by the immune system as well, which is never so, <laughs> yeah, so it's a protein that sequesters iron. So basically takes up oh, any free iron floating iron. around. Yeah. Um, cause b- bacteria, a lot of the time they use iron to grow or to carry out different activities. So if there's a lot of iron floating around your gut, maybe from things you eat, uh, bacteria can take advantage of that. So this protein lactoferrin that you can produce will actually just take up any iron that's floating around just so bacteria can't have it. It doesn't actually do anything with the iron. It just really? is to hold it just so bacteria can't. Smart. Um, which is pretty cool. That's, yeah. like, that's like when you're having dinner at home and like you, there's like one thing left and you're so full and your mom or dad is like, who wants the last one? And you're like, yeah, me, just so that your sibling doesn't take it. <laughs> you can't even eat it. Do you not do, do that? What? I if I was absolutely full. I'm not a monster. Oh my God. Now you're making me sound horrible. Yeah. Everyone does it. It's normal. No, no one relates to that. That's terrible. <laughs> that is. I do that all the time. Or we're like, oh yeah, that's a thing. Sorry, that's a thing. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> um, but then, and then there's this thing, I just love the name of it when I was going through my notes, the mucociliary escalator. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's quite gross as well. Um, so it's essentially the system that uses cilia, which are like little. Oh yeah. Yeah, you remember these? And they're like little kind of tentacles. They're almost like tentacles that yeah. are in your esophagus and that kind of thing. They're sort of like they're sort of like broad sort of brushes. You look up cilia and you'll you'll see a picture. <laughs> I, I don't know how to describe them. They sort of trap things in them. Yeah. So, like, bacteria will physically be trapped by these sort of almost hairs. So it's like a sea anemone. Yeah, it's like a sea anemone. Like, they all flow up and down and that sort yeah. of thing. Sort of traps things in them so they don't get down to places uh, further in your body. And maybe the immune system can deal with them while they're trapped. But this mucociliary escalator is called that because it actually moves all the mucus that you're producing up and out of the lungs so it's slowly oh, yeah. in the way it beats in its pattern it moves m- moves mucus up and up and up and up until it gets to your mouth where then you either cough it out or you swallow it oh i remember someone saying that before oh that was so funny and everyone's oh. like Ugh, gross and oh, she was like hey yeah and she's yeah. like hey just spit it out then i don't yeah. care <laughs> yeah because i mean i ideally maybe spitting out makes more sense if it's something that if you're producing all mucus in your esophagus because there's some sort of infection and then yeah. you're coughing if you're swallowing it like it'll probably get destroyed by the stomach i guess but if you spit it out it's gonna be out of your system entirely mm-hmm. you know just just thinking logically here you know you could swallow it but maybe that's that's just moving the problem elsewhere okay, i think this is too much into that <laughs> maybe that's too much information Let's move on. I just think that's cool to even think of when you're coughing and stuff, where that comes from. Now I'm always thinking of that escalator that's moving the stuff up for, to me to get it out, you know? Yeah. Anyway, I'll, I'll move on from there yeah, and go back that. to the gut. So uh, there are special types of uh, antibody, actually, because everyone loves antibodies these days, mm-hmm. uh, talking about COVID and all that stuff. Uh, so there's a special type of antibody called IgA. So in the blood, the most important type they're usually talking about in specific immune responses is IgG. This one looks like a Y. Yeah, well, I, I mean, a lot of them look like Ys. Um, <laughs> IgA can exist in two forms. One of them just looks like a Y. Okay. The other one is a dimer, where it's sort of two Ys back to back. Okay. Um, yeah, and that's, the, that's yeah. one that sort of is found in the actual mucus itself. And it's used to sample antigens in the gut. So it sort of traps things, and it can tag things for destruction sometimes as well. So you can say to your immune system, okay, I'm grabbing onto this thing because... I'm recognizing it as something bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, your immune system can come in, which your antibodies in the blood do too, which is yeah. why they look for it in COVID and stuff. But this is one that's specific for the immune system. And they're not as inflammatory because, again, you don't want this massive inflammatory response in your gut because most of the time yeah. that will be bad. In fact, a lot of the time, not a lot of the time, but some of the time, if you have a, a big inflammatory response in your gut, because that's not something that's too common, it's not very well regulated and can lead to things like IBS, inflammatory bowel disease. Yeah. yeah inflammatory bowel syndrome, I should say IBS. Yeah. D doesn't stand for it. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so a lot of those inflammatory conditions of the gut are quite hard to deal with because it's not usually something that's inflammatory, which is maybe why it's not very well regulated and mm-hmm. something that requires a lot of treatment. And it's a real challenge for researchers to try to treat. Um, so... Yeah, those antibodies, the IgA, they also stop bacteria from adhering to your cells. So like grabbing on to, let's say, the cells that are just, you know, if you think of sort of your gut as like a tube, you know, yeah. all the cells that are lining that tube, because if they grab onto that, sometimes they find a way in. So yeah. they attach to a certain protein on, on your cell and use that as a way in. Yeah. So um, IgA can stop them from doing that. Um because if they get in, they can sometimes get to the other side and get to parts that maybe there isn't as much of an immune system or mm-hmm. something like that and grow, or they can grow inside your barrier cells. Ugh. Yeah, so it can, it can be pretty bad if they're opportunistic <clears> or <throat> those bad guys we were talking about. 
Um, but interestingly, this uh, type of antibody IgA is also transported in breast milk um, for about oh. six months. So it can actually... This rings a bell. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what it is, but yeah. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so it can provide some together. passive immunity to your child, which means it's... Passive immunity means it's not something that you're actively producing yourself. So monoclonal antibody treatments use the same idea, where they just give you antibodies that you're not making yourself mm -hmm. in order to help you deal with the infection. Now, they eventually go away because you're not making them. Yeah. And that's the same with breast milk and those antibodies in there. They'll protect the child for those six months that they're drinking this breast milk. But after that, if they don't produce the antibodies themselves, mm. they, they won't have those antibodies against it anymore. Is it but, breastfeeding for six months? I don't know what the time is. Uh, well, I, I, from what I found in, in my notes, it was that... The, from your experience. From my experience, no. <laughs> from what I found in my notes, I'll be, I'll be sure about that. Um, it was that this antibody is found for up to six months in breast milk, up to uh, six months after birth. So maybe if you continue breastfeeding after six months, this antibody isn't found then anymore. Uh, I think okay. that's what they yeah. were sort of indicating. Um, and then you also have other immune cells in your gut, like M cells, which is, I don't know why they call that again, can't remember. Um, they're <laughs> in the walls of your gut and they take up some antigens and deliver to the other side where sometimes there's immune cells waiting. So immune cells aren't always floating around in the gut because again, you don't want a big response. Yeah. But then you have these M cells that are just taking up things that look a bit suspicious and then showing it to the immune system on the other side to be like, is this something that I gotta worry about? Is this something that you need to go and make a big inflammatory response to? And can the immune system just tell to? if that's good or bad? Um, well, a lot of the time, uh, the immune system, it broadly recognizes things as bad if they have things called pathogen-associated molecular patterns, or PAMPs, P-A-M-P-S. Yeah, uh, so if it has essentially certain types of protein that look like that, that are normally found on bacteria and viruses. Mm. Okay. Um, your immune system over lots of evolution has learned to say, these things, a lot of bacteria need to survive. So if I ever see this, I know it's from a bacteria. Yeah. So if it sees any of those things, it'll start to mount in response. But if it accidentally takes up something like food, it shouldn't have enough signals like that to tell oh, your immune okay. system to, yeah, to yeah, go yeah. nuts and start that making a response. Yeah. The immune system will just not respond to it. Okay. So that's where that cycle will end. Um, and then there's also other adaptive cells in the gut. So again, these are only things that are brought in if there does happen to be some sort of infection. Like those gamma delta T cells I talked about a little bit when I was talking yeah. about uh, Lydia Lynch's research in our Science is Cool episode. <laughs> um, yeah, so those, I said, were not very common in the body, but one place where they are found, not just in the fat that Lydia Lynch discovered, or not discovered, or examined, um, they're also found in the gut. So they kill actually infected epithelial cells so of your barrier so if you think of this tube of your intestine if those cells get infected by yeah. bacteria trying to get to the other side or trying to just spread these gamma delta t cells actually kill the cells of your barrier okay so the problem is if they kill too many of these then your barrier is broken and oh yeah and bacteria will get into places where they shouldn't be and the immune system might go a bit crazy so thankfully most of the time those barrier cells are replaced really quickly Oh, um, yeah, aren't they like one of the fastest like, yeah. re replicating cells or something? In exactly, body? yeah, because if you break that barrier, then that'll be yeah. a really bad idea. So what they do is if those cells get infected, they need to kill them and then very quickly make another one to take its place. So that's, that's what they do. And then another cell I want to give a quick shout out to <laughs> was uh, the goblet cell. Mm. I just think oh, it's, that's it a cool, cool name, name, to be fair. Goblet yeah. cell. And that's the one that produces mucus. That's its main oh. function. So have yeah, to shout that one out, obviously. Yeah, I mean... Everyone wonders, what cell is making all this mucus that I love so much? It's the goblet cell. <laughs> You're welcome. That should be easy to remember. Yeah. I'll spend um, like three days, I'll forget. 
<laughs> oh yeah, so I do actually, uh, I'm going to actually come back to that thing where I said there's memory in different mucosal sites that are linked to each other. So it, uh, the reason for that is that there's a sharing of some of the re receptors and proteins that are used in different parts of your mucosal immune system. So for example, there are things called chemokines, mm -hmm. which are signals that direct your immune system in certain directions. Okay. So there's, a, there's chemokines that help tell your immune cells, okay, go to the gut. There's chemokines that tell it to go to the blood yeah. and all that kind of thing. I'm just um, imagining something in high vis, just like pointing, being like yeah, this way. You can think of it way. like that. Uh, so different chemokines point your immune cells in different directions. But some of these uh, are shared. So let's say chemokine A, there's none called A, they're all numbers. Anyway, so let's imagine there's let's one pretend. called A. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's, that's found in your nose. So as I said, your nose is linked to your gut. So uh, chemokine A is also found in your lungs. So even if your immune response said, okay, I found this thing in the nose, it'll mount a response in the lung yeah. just in case. So your uh, nose so and it's lung are connected, connected case, it, yeah. it, by that chemokine, yeah. Um, and then your, um, your respiratory and nasal sites are also linked to genital mucosal sites as well, actually. So if uh, there are genital infections... You can actually vaccinate against those potentially by using a nasal vaccine, which is really interesting. So yeah. it, um, even though you think, you know, vaccine has to be in a specific area, it looks like if you provoke an immune response in the nose, you'll be protected in those other places. So, so yeah, nasal vaccines could be a cool thing for the future for those kind of infections. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's most of the stuff I want to talk about for the... Uh, Mucosal immune system. I want to tell maybe a bit of an immunology rant in our yeah. microbiology sort of themed episode. But yeah, that's that was. I, did. A, I, I think it's mostly a bit linked. Of an immunology rant. No, I I'm mean, but there's all links to the microbiome and the gut and stuff. So yeah, you know, it's yeah, it, it's allowed. Yeah, I'll say it's allowed anyway. It is. No, it is. It's fine. Um, so for anyone who's currently eating, if you are, you might want to take a little bit of a break. <laughs> I mean, if you already made it this far, I'd say keep eating. Because like, no, I don't. don't. Know how, this is not fun. I, like when I was talking about mucus and the escalator and stuff, be, if, you, if you okay, kept eating, that's fair, fair play. Enough. If you didn't pause it and say, you know what, I'll listen to this later or actually screw this podcast, then fair play. So if um, you're still listening, maybe keep eating and see if you can make it through well, this. Well, to be honest, I was looking it up this morning. And like I've heard about it before, so like it's not like I didn't know about it, but I was like... Oh no, and eating breakfast at the same time, nope. So we're gonna, I'm going to be talking about fecal microbiota transplantation. Um, I, well, I, heard, I heard that's a load of crap. Oh, <laughs> now we have to make this episode explicit. <laughs> no, I could have used other words, I didn't. Yeah, we have to decide the each word, time the if word the episode crap is explicit or not. Oh yeah, not. there's a thing we have to do when we upload the podcast to say, is the episode explicit? I'm pretty sure the word crap does not fall under it. <laughs> Explicit. Well, we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> when we get reported. This is our very last episode here. I didn't, I didn't actually mention, this is, a, this is our last episode of 2020, by yeah. the way. Yeah, we're so. taking a little Christmas break. Oh, yeah. We, so, well, we don't have any Christmas-themed episodes. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, guys. We'll be back next year. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, these fecal microbiota transplantation, originally when I looked it up, um, I was looking for the pill version of this, which I like to call poop pills, which is not a scientific term or anything. I just made it up. And P and P match, same letters. So alliteration. Is it alliteration? I think so. If I did is, yeah. my junior cert English properly. <laughs> um, but it's basically the idea of this transplant is where you take the intestinal microbiota from a healthy donor and you transfer it into a patient who is suffering from some sort of um, like imbalance in mm. their microbiota. 
and their microbiome. And you basically are doing this to restore the microbial community in the patient's gut. Mm. Grand, whatever, sounds... Class. Sounds all right. Yeah, but, give me some poop pills right now. <laughs> but the way Can't that wait. they get the intestinal microbiota from the donor is they need to get a, a, a fecal... Stool sample. Stool sample, yeah. A sample from the donor. And they need to turn it into what they're going to put into the patient. And to be honest, there's not that many steps oh, no. to go from poop to patient. There's not... <laughs> Another alliteration. Poop to patient. There's just not uh, enough steps. Surely there's at least one company saying, you know, using that line. It's like we go from poop to patient and we have this. So um, they basically get their donor poop. Um <laughs> And they mix it with saline, so like a salt water solution. Okay. And there you have it. Oh, no. That's only the least for step three, surely. No, that's it. But um, to be fair, there's like stringent, I think stringent-ish measures (laughs) in picking, to pick a donor. So like the donor can't be infected. You have some grade A poop. Yeah, they can't have taken antibiotics. They can't be Mm. sick. They can't have, I think even getting a tattoo or something like that can like, so they are supposedly specific-ish. Right, so, um, so you're saying I could make it? Potentially, yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> your career, so Oh my it's... God, no. <laughs> um, no, I'm sorry for putting that idea in your head. But anyways, most of the time they've tested this. And so I looked into a bit, a bit and because too much is, is too much. Uh, but they use this treatment for Clostridium difficile. Mm. Um, I don't know what the exact symptoms... Well, I actually do know what the symptoms are because I wrote it down. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) The symptoms are are (laughs) diarrhea, fever, loss of appetite and nausea. Mm. Um, And they actually grow normally inside you. So like we said, we can have good ones that turn bad, which we call opportunistic um, infections. Yeah. yeah. Or pathogens. Or pathogens, yeah. So usually they're inside you, it's all good. And then if all of a sudden they start, I don't know, attacking all the other bacteria around them and outgrowing them and outcompeting them, then there's too much of it. It's bad. You get this illness. I don't know if it's an illness or disease. And some of these responses are because it's too pro-inflammatory as well. It could be Mm. linked to things like IBS. Some of the, a lot of these imbalances do end up leading to those kind of conditions because your immune system has to go into overdrive to sort of try to solve it. And this condition, it's actually potentially fatal, which Mm. I didn't know. Um, but apparently yeah. it is and so usually or i suppose yeah usually they would treat with antibiotics um and the thing is even though you treat with antibiotics recurrence is like 10 to 20 happens 10 to 20 percent of the time so it'll mm-hmm. go away but it'll come back and then once you've had your first recurrence um i think it's like 40 percent of the time it'll come back again yeah that makes sense so, they're probably resistant to yeah so it just keeps coming back yeah. so they decided you know what we'll do this dual transplant to see what happens and uh, apparently it works like 90% of the time that it actually is pretty good and so I've heard was, a lot of people are very sceptical about yeah, it apparently it is. some of the research papers around it are a little bit dodged yeah so there was this one doctor I was listening to she was talking she was saying that she would actually use um, the antibiotics and try and like a I don't want to say no, what's the word it's not normal but like more conventional yeah, like yeah, type treatment of treatment option, yeah. Um, and, then go, and then if that really doesn't time. work yeah it's poop to patient and she was saying she likes to use someone that's close to the patient so mm. like a spouse or a child or a parent or something oh, or a because friend they might already sort of share yeah exactly that's what she's saying so they yeah. share kind of similar microbiome maybe um mm. which 
I just thought that was kind of interesting. Just call my brother but, and I, tell him I need yo, something. <laughs> will you poop in a bucket for me? A bucket? No. Yeah, that's what they do. Sorry. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure they poo in a bucket, close the lid, wrap it in like plastic, and they're like, yeah, there's my sample. Whoa, whoa, whoa. At what stage do they add the salt water then? Okay, afterwards. Yeah, then. So, oh, so that's so just you, a person oh, so you pooping. Give this to the, oh, yeah, right. there's a person pooping. They wrap it up, they give it to whoever is going to make the sample. Then the person's like, hey, I'm going to take some stool sample, going to mix it with salt water. Right. And the way they oh my god the way they give it is because i don't want to be it's well, just no no it's not that i'm going there i just i'm sh- a little bit shocked by it or like <laughs> i'm a bit like oh but i don't want to be bad in case you know someone it works, get, it, it it works. that's yeah. the thing yeah but if, the, if it works for people even if it's gross like go yeah for it, you know? but it, yeah anyways it's true they they use a nasogastric tube so it's like oh. it goes from your brain down into your like true and this so is what it, I was thinking. True. Wait, you, sorry. you mean your nose? Yeah. You said your, did you say your brain? Oh, did I say I my think you brain? Said brain. Oh, maybe I misheard you. <laughs> oh, it doesn't go into your brain. I don't know. If I said brain, it doesn't go into your brain. It, it goes, goes from into your nose. nose. That's too. why I said naso. Yeah. yeah. So it goes nose all the way. Nose down. all the way down to like your colon, and then if there's like a little tubey bit at the end, and it just like sprays the bottom of your colon with this mm. person with this solution. Right. Basically, is how it works. Um, and that's one way of going. From yeah. So. Then they're trying to make this sort of pill version of it. Yeah, so that, that would be you would more pleasant. Take it in. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if it would be more pleasant or not. I couldn't really find that much information about it. Oh, I mean uh, to take it. Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it would. <laughs> I'd much rather take a pill. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you would. But then I saw this, like, co- the, the people don't know, right, if this sort of transplantation is going to be, if it counts as a drug or a tissue or like, a, like an organ transplant. Oh, so in terms is, of medical yeah, exactly. uh, and, regulation. Yeah, and classifying mm. it, yeah. yeah. And it's still debated. And uh, they did like some sort of FDA did a survey or it was a survey done for like where they asked FDA people. I don't really know, something like that. But mm. the general gist was that it was like 50-50. People, oh. people haven't decided if it's an organ, like transplant, transplant thing yeah. or if it's um, like a drug. So that I thought was actually really interesting. That is really interesting. Because, yeah, and then there's also this other random paper that I didn't even reference because this this sort of, like, microbiome area, like I mentioned, it just has outrageous statements. And this one was basically how you have these freeze-dried poop pills Mm. and you use it as a weight loss treatment. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, Yeah. so, like, if you get it from someone who is, like, I don't know, at an average weight, you give it to someone that's... Obese, obese yeah. they will lose apparently weight, yeah. lose weight. Yeah, I've heard um, of that. They about, did studies yeah. in mice, um, and I think it goes both ways that mm. if it's you can go from obese to sort of yeah. average. I think there are a lot of things again. shared between because then again, bringing it back to that science school episode, I talked about even if you sort of have there are things in your immune system that are yeah. common between yeah. you know obese people and common between people mm-hmm. who aren't obese, and if you switch those things around, you can actually sometimes end yeah. up with the opposite effect. Yeah, and. Sorry, so, did you want so, to say No, that? so it does like, kind of make sense that maybe the microbiome would also have a role yeah. in that. Yeah, and they also found, which I thought was really interesting, is that sometimes giving um, your, you know, swapping the microbiome or like from donor to patient, it can actually change the mental health of the patient wow. uh, to reflect that of the donor. So like if the donor is that's, more energetic is or whatever, yeah. then the patient that will be before, that way yeah. as well. Wow. And that sort of ties into the idea of... The, your gut and your brain kind of talking to each other yeah, the brain and axis. yeah the gut brain axis they're interacting 
Um, so that's why, you know, when people are like, oh, I have butterflies in my tummy or, mm. you know, things like that, um, that maybe it's actually yeah, has some sort of, some sort of back brain, kind of, yeah. yeah, and mm. you can feel it in your stomach. Yeah. Um, and I tried finding stuff on this and I just, it's actually just such, like, it's so in-depth and there's just so much information and like we said it's always changing that I couldn't really find anything mm. yeah so it'll be probably a good few it. years before a lot of this stuff is solid yeah because for science in science for something to be sort of taken as fact it needs to be repeated several times and yeah. maybe in different scenarios and that sort of thing I don't I think this field is a bit too new for those big conclusions yeah but they know? basically the general findings at the moment yeah. are that your brain can talk to your gut and your gut can talk to your brain and mm. that there's some sort they kind of interact I think it's true like the nervous system the endocrine system which is like hormones and the yeah. immune system obviously like you were saying mm. earlier <laughs> shout out to the immune system yeah best system um, ever and there are some um, bacteria that produce this thing called GABA um, I can't remember the full term. I feel like I've heard of this before. Yeah, it's it's it some sort of, I think it's a neurotransmitter. So yes, it's a yeah. feel-good neurotransmitter, if okay. I'm correct. I'm not too sure. But basically, that yeah, your bacteria in your microbiome can produce this. And it makes you feel less anxious. Um, and they give it at the moment to people with some mental health issues that like, you know, anxiety and things mm. like that. But the the medical version, like the pill, it can be some kind of addictive and it can have side effects right. and things like that. So people are thinking, oh, maybe we can somehow increase the bacteria in your gut that are producing this GABA, yeah. which will maybe somehow influence your brain and, you know, reduce anxiety levels and things like mm. that. So I think that's kind of one area that this field is going in in like how yeah. how the microbiome can be used in maybe psychology or like psychiatric yeah, disorders stuff, things yeah. like that which yeah. i think is really really cool um, is, yeah. yeah but yeah and actually one last thing that i just uh i remember i was vaguely saying something to you earlier about how someone i know who sort of works in the microbiome area tweeted something recently and i didn't i forgot what it was i just looked it up there as you were chatting yeah. um, and uh it was a really interesting paper that was published in quite a big journal science um, which showed that fecal microbial transplantation could render patients that uh, had melanoma which is a type of uh, cancer that was resistant to immunotherapy if you give them a different fecal you know microbiome sample or whatever and yeah. put that into their gut they can actually then have their melanoma be sensitive to immunotherapy again so you can actually start to destroy oh. their melanoma which no used to be resistant so yeah. there could even be lots of links between the microbiome and cancer and how yeah. that progresses and how resistant cancer is to these immunotherapies yeah. which is very interesting yeah, yeah it actually is a really interesting field i was reading up about it it actually is really exciting and mm. um, might <laughs> dabble in the field sometime yourself to, yeah, yeah why yeah. not Go it's actually it. really cool and i really like the link between um like the microbiome and the brain yeah and how that, that really can influence like your mood and things like that mm. uh, that's something that would really interest me so I'd have to look more into it because, but that's the thing. There's just so much about it. Yeah. Um. It so I don't know. Yeah, I think that's kind of it for today, guys. Yeah, I think that's, for this year. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. Happy New Year. Maybe. Can we see that was well, not the New Year. No, you can't. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. Well, we take it back. We'll see. We'll see all just you guys. Goodbye. <laughs> just goodbye. Um, yeah, we'll see all you guys in. See, well, we won't see you. We'll hopefully see our listener numbers. Uh, stay, stay the same or you'll hear. hopefully you'll come back you'll hear our voices in you'll hear our voices very again soon. if you come back please do in 2021 yeah Goodbye. bye guys thanks for listening see ya